Hello there and welcome along for episode number 108 of Turkey Book Talk. Thank you for joining. I'm William Armstrong speaking from here in Istanbul. In this podcast we hear from authors of newly released books on Turkey and the region. In this episode we hear from Erkan Saka. He's Associate Professor at Istanbul Bilgi University and the author of Social Media and Politics in Turkey, A Journey Through Citizen Journalism, Political Trolling and Fake News, published by Lexington Books. The book was recently published and it gives us a whistle-stop tour looking at how social media use has changed in Turkey over the years, as well as the government's crackdown on various social media platforms and users. We talk about that crackdown, the fate of various fact-checking initiatives, and the popularity of TikTok a bit later on, along with many other things, of course. But before we get started, remember that if you haven't already, do consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Turkey Book Talk member. Membership on Patreon gets you various extras, including transcripts in both English and Turkish, of every interview published on the podcast via email as soon as the episode is published. I'll also send you transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive, which includes a number of extra interviews not previously published on the podcast. Members also get access to an exclusive discount deal, which gets you a whopping 35% off the cover price of books published in IB Taurus's very extensive Turkey and Ottoman history category. Turkey Book Talk members get a special code for a 35% discount on over 100 books in that series of academic and general interest titles, including physical books, pre-orders and e-books. Finally, members also receive an archive of 200 131 book reviews written by myself covering Turkish and international fiction and poetry, history, politics and journalism in the Middle East and Europe. That whole archive used to be available online but nowadays a Turkey Book Talk membership is the only way you can access it. To become a member just pledge a minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. New episodes are published every two weeks so a membership will cost you no more than $6 per month. If you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more then you'll certainly be more than welcome but so long as you pledge that $3 or above per episode membership is entirely at your own discretion. Members are only charged when a new episode is published, so there are no prior commitments or strings attached. You'll be free to sign off whenever you want. But now on to our conversation with Erkan Saka. We started by talking about Ekşi Sözlük. Ekşi Sözlük is perhaps the most successful and long-running online debate platform in Turkey. It's an eclectic combination of Twitter, Wikipedia and Facebook, but was founded back in 1999, so a long time before any of those emerged. Despite criticism that its quality has declined of late, Ekşi Sözlük is still going strong today and remains a popular platform for online debate, criticism and information sharing. There is in fact an Ekşi Sözlük entry on this podcast, Turkey Book Talk, written by somebody out there, apparently back in November 2016. Uh, whoever you are, if you're still listening, a special hello to you. But first of all, I asked Erkan Saka what it is that makes Ekşi Sözlük unique. To begin with, I really admire Ekşi Sözlük. It started in 1999, and uh, since then, uh, despite the emergence of social media platforms, Ekşi Sözlük is still here, and uh, it's still powerful an agenda maker. In the very beginning, uh, it looked more like a Wikipedia, but gradually it became to be like a forum. And it continues to be uh, somewhere between a Wikipedia forum and a more forum-like opinion page. Many students still look up there and find out you know, information. Uh, but now it seems to be switching to more opinion forum. And obviously the tone of the conversation on there is often very irreverent and there's a very diverse selection of people really who who use yeah. it. Just talk uh, about the first, kind of tone that, that is used on there. Yeah. 
Uh, as far as I know, more than like 30,000 users contribute. There is not a standard style. It can be formal like a dictionary entry, but most of the time the tone is more irreverent, you might say. And it also has all walks of life or ideologies or political views are represented in exercises. I, I believe the combination, the composition changes from time to time, maybe in parallel to Turkish political scene. But you can find out uh, uh, every kind of ideas there, every political views. And sometimes it gets very annoying in that sense, but still, it's still one of the most free places in Turkish digital scene at the moment. Yeah, talk about that, because obviously one of the most well-known facts, I suppose, about social media in Turkey and media generally is that uh, there's a bit of a crackdown in the last few years. Plenty of people have been arrested for tweets and whatnot. Exi Sözlük, what's the state of play with that? I mean, is there any, has anybody been arrested for an Exi Sözlük post? As far as I know, not arrested, but they were detained. In fact, because of some blasphemy issues, I believe there are still very critical voices. But I would say that people are self-censoring themselves, self-regulating themselves to a large extent. Now, I think most of the users realize that having a nickname does not make you anonymous. I think at some point, most of the users believe that. So there was a more critical tone. But and now, ex-Sözük administration several times declared that in a state that they have to obey the rules of the country. So whenever a prosecutor asks IP numbers of the users, they have to deliver them. Uh, so in that case, uh, we have also witnessed the same pressure on ex-Sözük to and I sometimes suspect there are many trolls, political trolls, pro-government trolls in Exesurgic. I believe this is kind of a, a negotiation between Exesurgic and the government circles. Normally, those trolls should have been deleted already. I think they are really violating sometimes terms of engagement, but they are led to produce in the in content in Exesurgic because they are pro-government and they mobilize against Exesurgic if they are thrown out of the worm. Uh, so I, I could say that in the last couple of years, there's even an increase in pro-government voices. And I'm, I'm especially emphasizing that these are acting like trolls, not uh, not ordinary pro-government users. Like. And they are there and uh, most of the irreverent stuff, in fact, is produced by them at the moment. I want to talk a bit about trolling uh, later on, how it's changed, what the sure. definition is of it. You mentioned their uh, self-censorship and obviously posting tweets or Facebook posts can be a, a dangerous game these days. Plenty of people, as we say, have been arrested over tweets. Uh, as someone who's monitored this over many years, would you say that there's been a rise in self-censorship on social media in Turkey? Could you give some examples of that? How is that manifest? How's the tone changed? And has the crackdown had a chilling effect really on, on people. Yeah. Well, I could say that uh, one of the themes of my book is that I claim that maybe even when AKP was labeled as more uh, a democratizing force before, let's say, 2011, in the internet field, we were already witnessing restrictive, repressive measures of the government. So there is this progressively repressive action against internet usage. It started before, but I can easily say that this is the most repressive period, the current time, maybe especially after the failed coup attempt. The government just used it as a pretext to have more pressure on internet users. I think this is the ultimate point. A very little accusation against you is enough to be arrested or to lose your job. The punishment may come in many forms. 
In that sense, especially in the last couple of years, people are either uh, making their profiles private or switching to nickname uh, some anonymous accounts. And some of them just stopped using it. I think the best platform to see all the changes is uh, Twitter, which is uh, always more political and news-based. And there, uh, many people actively stopped using it and they switched to other social media platforms which are not that politicized. And on Twitter, for a couple of years, the active usage was very low. Uh, maybe the last local elections uh, motivated people. I feel like uh, there is a comeback to uh, Twitter. There are many newcomers or some old users resumed using Twitter. It's a sign that maybe people became a bit more hopeful about uh, political changes in near future. But Freedom House, when uh, classified Turkey's internet as non-free, I, I, I have to agree. Maybe it's not as bad as some other countries, but Turkey is really uh, having a very bad record on internet freedom issues. You talk in the book about the uh, Gezi Park protests in 2013 as being a real turning point uh, in a negative yes. way. At first, the protesters were saying that uh, it would be a positive turning point for them and the country, you know, a stage of democracy, really. But the government and the way it responded, it saw the need to really control the Internet, control other forms of expression and arguably crack down harder in the years after 2013. Just talk about that. Sure. It's a turning point. I'm, I'm not sure if I will always label it as a negative turn. I mean, yes, in some place, as you said, Gizzi showed that. In fact, all the ideals of participatory culture brought up with the emergence of the internet will be realized in Turkey too. I mean, I remember when we were doing workshops on citizen journalism or citizen media or in general social media or internet communications, one of the recurring theme was, you know, we have the tools but we don't produce. Why citizens are not producing enough content was one of the questions, problems. At Gezi, I saw, we realized that this is not a problem anymore. Every citizen in his or her own capacity will produce something and could be part of the public debate. In that sense, it is a very beautiful moment that a nation can show, can be part of a public debate. I still sometimes believe that government could respond in a more positive way, and that could be maybe a better moment for all of us. But then, uh, whatever the reasons, maybe we will learn in the future. Uh, the regime, the government just decided to act against this big, massive movement in a very negative and repressive manner. And uh, then the crackdown began. Uh, I never lost my hope. Those participants of Gezi protests are still around. They are producing. So uh, I believe maybe until the, the coup attempt, we had a sort of transitional period. But uh, especially after the coup attempt, government does not even have excuses. They are just arbitrarily targeting critical voices. And that process continues. I believe right now, maybe after the local election uh, victories by the opposition, there is a bit of a less harsh period right now. But uh, we had uh, very tough days for many uh, citizens. Yeah. M most recently, the military operations in Syria have been accompanied by a major crackdown, often with hundreds of people reportedly arrested over social media posts criticizing those operations. Yes. It in fact shows that you know, despite all the crackdown before, people are still sort of committed. I'm sometimes surprised to see that this is still happening. And of course, this makes me hopeful too. The government realizes that it owns all the mainstream media now, literally owns. 
and uh, uh, social media seems to be the main outlet for uh, any any critical voices. So they are crashing here heavier than ever. In fact, uh, since many people are already censoring themselves, this is not a very massive critical voice. But I was surprised to see that many people still criticize the, this uh, military uh, operation. The thing is, as internet penetrates more and more uh, citizens from all over Turkey, uh, one thing is maybe some of the citizens are less digitally literate. And uh, again, by using an anonymous or nicknamed account, they maybe believe that they are hiding themselves well. Uh, well, some of them are learning it by uh, being arrested. I suspect this is maybe because, uh, yes, there is the tool there, but we don't have that exact digital literacy, how it operates, how you can hide yourself or not, stuff like that. But uh, overall, I see that despite all, all censorship, all restrictions and self-censorship, Twitter is still acting like a very vocally opponent place, and it gives some hope. Now, there's a section in the book about uh, online trolling. So I want to move on to that yeah. side of things. Uh, you focus on pro-government trolling accounts. Uh, first of all, what's your definition for those accounts? You know, where do you draw the line for them? Because perhaps some people described as trolls could actually just be described as people who have very uh, staunchly pro-Erdogan political views. Yeah, right. I don't think I can, I can really fix the definitional problems, but at least uh, one of the definitional parts of trolling is that the troll agitates or provokes an ongoing debate in a systematic way, not only once, but more. Uh, not every pro-government user is, is a troll, of course. He or she just announces or tweets about his or her beliefs, and that's okay. But uh, when this becomes a, a hostile content against critical voice, uh, when it is accompanied by uh, threats in a systematic way, then you could start to think it's a troll case. Most of the time, people believe trolls are anonymous. And in my own case, there was this kind of collaboration between anonymous and non-anonymous uh, users. In fact, even one of the, why I would um, label her as a, as a troll, she even became a minister at some point. The time I met her, uh, she was a head of a youth branch of AKP. And the way she acted, she wasn't just propagating her views or party's views, but she was targeting people, threatening them. And sometimes uh, she would intervene to an ongoing hashtag, what is sometimes called hashtag hijacking. So that was one case. It's interesting that internet usage, when you look at political parties, the AKP was one of the early users of internet and they invested more than other parties. So in the beginning, AKP was quite an internet user party. Those in charge had workshops to produce content. In that sense, they were aware of the internet's power and they were familiar with it. But uh, despite this, they couldn't really shape the public debate on social media. And I think they got very frustrated that, especially during the Gezi part, they realized that uh, we cannot control it. Despite all censorship and uh, some threats, people were using it very actively, oppositional people. So this triggered the urgency. So someone came up with an idea, you know, like political troll army. And I think even Washington Post or one of those newspapers published it, that now the AKP is organizing a 6,000 army, social media army, stuff like that. But, you know, this was very rhetorical at that time. Despite my all intentions or, or attempts, I could never really find out traces of such an organized, centralized troll army. 
So this didn't happen, but uh, many users began to volunteer for AKP in a more hostile way against opponents. My research showed that there were many centers and many clicks for AKP. So their decentralized and more voluntaristic structure made actors more scary. But after some initial processes, I realized that now maybe the first time in, in their history, actors became more centralized. One center, which is called Pelican Group, became the most powerful group among all the trolls. And uh, they have the financial power backed by some higher-ups. And uh, it seems that only at this stage, we are witnessing a centralized trolling activity. But the moment we see this centralized activity, also we see that they are not as scary as they used to be. And they are not as effective as they used to be. Like the decline in the ruling party's power, there is also a decline in trolling activities and their threats are not taken as serious as before. Yes, I want to actually talk about this Pelican group a bit later, who they are and what their online origins are, I suppose. So you you say there that you didn't find any evidence really of a centralized uh, troll army. As you talk about there, there was reports that there was a 6,000 strong centralized office that was basically coordinated, uh, according to these reports, by the government. And that you couldn't find anything about that. But uh, for the research, you actually met with a number of people who operated some um, more loose sort of, let's say, troll accounts in Istanbul, uh, in the Fati district. How did you arrange those meetings and what did you learn from them? Who are these people? And, and you know what what was that experience like well my luck maybe it was luck but i had some past relations connections and that that had uh, one is still active not as a troll but he has very good connections with the ruling party uh, higher ups he's still producing content for them and uh, i think at some point i persuaded the person that uh, yes I am an oppositional figure I will not hide this but my idea is I just want to understand he was persuaded to give me some insights it became a kind of a scientific thing I was really at that moment beyond my political activism I was really curious about the structure it was such a you know mystical thing we had very few news reports something was happening on our social media but uh, we could not really see behind it and uh, I was uh, I had this social scientific curiosity and I think they realized that so it was easier than I expected and also one one thing I realized is maybe at some very deep levels some people are very secretive and they're hiding some secrets but in most of the cases people just talk and the moment you you begin to meet they show their anonymous accounts other accounts that they use for trolling in fact uh, since this is a voluntarily done thing most of the time they boast about it they're they are not really ashamed about it it's part of their political activism this is a kind of an activism they do the thing is, you know, most of them benefited from the ruling party in one way or another. But it started before, like, I didn't meet anyone who began to benefit from the party after trolling. They were already part of the, the movement or the local branches or groups. And so they were already involved in one way or another. And when there was this mobilization for the party on social media, they began to act accordingly. In the meantime, yes, I met some also people, like they were normally in their everyday life, 
they acted like uh, lived like a secular Kemalist that they criticized, but they also admitted that they were expecting some financial benefits, like uh, municipality contracts, and they had some access to some resources in one way or another by showing off that they were part of this actual discourse. And I realized that even at that stage, uh, they were critical of each other too. Partly reason was personal, but partially also because of gaining access to resources. Uh, it was a classical case that there would be a, a more in, infighting, but probably the, the power of the party prevented that at that stage, but it will uh, emerge later. Now, you addressed in the book the uh, the discord between the so-called Pelican Group and some of these other pro-government social media accounts. Just run down this disagreement briefly, you know, this infighting. Uh, we've talked about it a bit on the podcast uh, in previous episodes, but who are the right. Pelican Group and uh, are they now the only game in town really when it comes to shaping the core pro-government narrative on, on social media? Yes, as far as I understand, nearly all other sections lost their power. And this Pelican group is, uh, you know, after that declaration block, that they don't name themselves like that. But uh, the, the reason that people call them Pelican group is because of this declaration that was published online. And yeah. that was seen as yes. sort of start firing the, the starting gun for the process that removed uh, the former Prime yes. Minister Double Tornu. Thank you for this uh, better summary here. Uh, yes, it started with like that. And uh, at this stage, they don't deny that. In fact, you know, I'm not sure they, they have ever officially clearly accepted that they have written the, the, that piece. But they were the first ones to uh, circulate it. And the way they acted or their statements all point out that they're part of this declaration. And this is an interesting thing, that they don't ex explicitly state what they do. And we have to go around and look all these data. And I'm thankful to Efe Kerem Sözer. He's a very good analyst there. And so gradually we figure out they have a place by no Bosphorus, an NGO there. And there is some financial relationship between the big media conglomerate, Albayrak. And we realize that Hilal Kaplan and her husband is especially effective in coordinating the media discourse. Uh, there is a very close collaboration between Al-Bayrak media group outlets from TV channels to newspapers to, to many uh, social media accounts and internet websites. And because of all the financial power and because the other powerful groups are eliminated, th this is the remaining uh, uh, section, Pelican Group, in one way or another. Just a couple more questions here that I want to address. Uh, fact checking. It's been mm -hmm. a, there's been as in other places. There's been a, a fluorescence really of fact checking websites and initiatives in Turkey, sure. and a lot of them operate on social media. But I think a similar problem has emerged in Turkey as elsewhere is the idea that people actually care about fact checking because we obviously have a very polarized political discourse, and you get the feeling that people only really care about fact checking when it sort of fits their side. So there's a argument that perhaps it's just a futile business really there are plenty of fact checkers out there but in the end people only really care when it satisfies their own side so maybe it's just a completely futile business what's your read on fact checking and how they've developed and what kind of role they play in turkey or have played in the last few years well i have to i have to accept the, the general idea fact checking initiatives may not be as effective as we hope to believe 
maybe this is not enough. There's a life beyond uh, media activism and uh, there's the polarization and all. But I believe that, you know, despite all criticism now, Tate.org is seen as a relatively reliable source among others, uh, non-activists or even some pro-AKP people care about what Tate.org does. They have got their own reputation. In that sense, maybe as long as uh, you don't expect too much as an only solution, I think uh, one should still expect more from fact-checking sites and related attempts. I really believe that all these very small size initiatives back in 2000, 2010 led to, in later stages, good activism or led to some sense-changing uh, actions. I remember the moment when we were talking about citizen journalism back in 2009. Many people were making fun of us. But by 2015, people were embracing us and saying, well, you, you've done a good job. I mean, I don't claim that I was a very good practicing citizen journalist at all. But it, uh, at least many of my friends contributed to citizen media content production. So all these small attempts, despite broader polarized society, I think it brings out good stuff that can change into bigger things in future. So we should continue to produce this fact-checking and other related stuff. And uh, finally, just talk a little bit about TikTok. Now, this is probably the most recent, most popular uh, social media platform that has emerged. It's, uh, but it flies a bit under the radar as it's pretty much entirely non-political. But in Turkey, it's very, very popular indeed. It's got millions of downloads. And apparently, yeah. Turkey is, has the third highest number of users in the world of, uh, of TikTok after India and the US. Just talk about that. What kind of role does that play in Turkey? Uh, there's been a lot of reports about uh, censorship and whatnot on um, TikTok. But um, d- d- does it have a political role at all? Or what, what's the kind of profile? Not, not that- uh, we were, we, William, we were talking about in, in a workshop today. Uh, someone said, a student said, Maybe because we missed the printing machine for three centuries. Now we try to adopt everything on time or we become early adopters or something. And uh, it was sort of a joke. But yes, in Turkey, TikTok is not the first one. I mean, in cryptocurrency usage, Turkey is one of the top five countries. And uh, in many other new stuff, Turkey is always there, Turkish users. Uh, there might be many reasons for that. That's another talk, I think. But one thing I'm very happy about TikTok is this. I know many people criticize it, but one thing is all other social media platforms could not access some sections of Turkish society and TikTok penetrated into those sections. Maybe you could say that more lower class and uh, non-urban settings. And I'm very uh, excited to see that, that now ordinary people who are not attending our workshops, whom we cannot have ex- much access in our digital literacy courses and uh, uh, seminars, now they are using it in quite productive ways. So in that sense, I think that's a plus. It shows that a new platform can go beyond others to uh, have access to some new sections of society. So in that sense, it's uh, bringing out some content production skills to new sections of society. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a China-based social media tool. So from the outset, it's already restricted. And any, as far as I know, they are 
very careful about any kind of political content. So uh, we will see immediate measures taken if the tool is politicized. But still, we don't know to what extent they can do that. Uh, I was talking to some uh, officials from TikTok when they paid a visit to Turkey a few months ago. And I, I told them, you know, you, you are lucky that you, you showed up after Gezi Park protests. If there is a political emergency, I saw that in Gezi Park that any, any media can be used for political purposes. Uh, but at the moment, uh, we have enough platforms to voice our political concerns. In fact, we cannot even use them because of all the political pressure. Uh, so TikTok is now left to uh, non-political purposes. But at the moment, as far as I see, uh, it's creating a new generation of skilled uh, media producers. And this can be always transformed to, into a more politicized uh, version in near future. That was Erkan Saka. Many thanks to him for joining for episode number 108. Before you go, I'm pleased to announce that Turkey Book Talk now has a partner initiative called Turkey Recap. It's not a financial partnership or anything, rather it's just a kind of moral or spiritual support I suppose that we're giving each other. Turkey Recap is an email newsletter put together by journalists Razie Akkoç and Diego Cupolo. It's a very useful weekly one-stop shop that concisely packages together all the major developments in Turkey over the past seven days, dropping into your email inbox every Thursday. It also includes links to interesting articles and the occasional amusing pun to light things up. It's very good indeed. Indeed, I wouldn't be recommending it if it wasn't. So Search for Turkey Recap on Twitter to subscribe or follow the link that I will put in our show notes. Also remember, if you're a fan of Turkey Book Talk, do consider becoming a member on Patreon to support us. Membership gets you that discount on books published by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury, transcripts of every interview, transcripts of the entire archive, and access to an archive of 231 book reviews written by me. For all that, just pledge $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. Also, do please rate or review Turkey Book Talk on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, which of course also includes Spotify now, follow via Twitter or like the Facebook page and I always enjoy hearing from listeners so please send any recommendations, feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com but until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks thank you very much for listening <laughs>